preach in Jesus' name this morning. Certainly a blessing to be here and uh, all that we've learned and all that we're anticipating this morning with the baptismal and uh, it's just a It's just a blessing. God is good. That's an understatement. For an introduction this morning uh, to the message, the message is what makes all the difference. In our Christian ethics class, uh, the writer of the book made some statements that just like really impressed me. In our uh, two lessons we went over last Tuesday morning, one was the strange woman, and the other one was uh, purity. And there's two statements there that impressed me. Uh, one of them was, purity will help you to become well-adjusted, friendly, happy, and at peace with the world, yourself, and God. Peace with the world, yourself, and God. This world is a very confusing place. It certainly isn't a peaceful place. But we can live peaceful lives in the midst of the storms of sin around us. And then, uh, peace with yourself... I was thinking, you ever read a poem, The Man in the Glass? Oh, I should have brought it. A lot of things happen. It, it, yeah, the poem, I, I read it and I wasn't sure if I should read it here. It's a little self-centered, but you got to please everybody but the man in you get. You don't have to please everybody, but you got to please the man in the glass. And I don't really like that thing, uh, that whole concept. However, when you get up in the morning, you've got to look at the man in the glass. And if you can't live with the man in the glass, you've got problems. The man in the glass isn't what the person that should be in the glass, then it's time to change the man in the glass. And you do have to live with the man in the glass. And, uh, you know, we need to be at peace with the man in the glass. And we certainly have to be at peace with God. And then one of the questions uh, in the workbook, what are some of the rewards of keeping yourself pure? And part of that answer, well, the whole answer, and the part that impressed me is when you keep yourself pure, you are eligible for God's best. You are eligible for God's best. And that is a profound concept. We want to be eligible for God's best, but there's something we need to do about it. The entire answer is, when you keep yourself pure, you're eligible for God's best for a pure partner 
and a trusting marriage relationship. That was the entire answer. Uh, eligible for God's best. You know, one of the one of the biggest lies of the devil is to try to make us think that if we commit ourselves to Christ, we're going to be missing something. And somehow we're going to be at a little bit of a disadvantage. And somehow or the other, we're going to get cheated. And somehow or the other, doing our thing would be a whole lot enjoyable and have a whole lot more rewards. But that's a lie of the devil. So what is the Christian's advantage? What makes a Christian eligible for God's best? Now, this morning is uh, Jared and Carrick, and I want God's best for them. And not only just for them, but I want God's best for everybody here at Prairie. I certainly do. And I hope we personally want God's best. But what makes the difference is the question. What makes the difference? Well, the first thing is God. God makes it. Now, we're starting the foundational, basic concepts here. You see, when I, when I recognize God, now God's going to be there whether I admit he's there or not. It don't make any difference uh, as far as God is concerned. He's going to be there all the time. And uh, and so, if I, the, the difference is going to be if I recognize God. So if I recognize God as creator of everything I see, he is the creator of everything I don't see, and who knows how much that is. If I recognize as God as creator of me personally, then I form a foundation upon which every question that could possibly ask goes back to that foundational concept. It creates the foundation of all my thoughts. It creates the foundation of all my decisions. I create a point of reference that everything relates to in my life. It creates a vantage point for how I see everything around me. It is distinct van a distinct vantage point. How I look at everything is based on God. It creates a sense of stability 
when I am under all kinds of pressure today and increased stability when I have failed yesterday. And it creates an entity for which I can focus all my energies toward and establishes the goals in my life that are not only rewarding here, but, I, but that I can enjoy in the future, here and in eternity. So God is the difference, the most basic foundational difference. What makes the difference? God. And because of that, I can without reserve reply, I do, when the preacher says, when the preacher asks, do you believe in one true, eternal an almighty God who is the creator and preserver of all things visible and invisible. What makes the difference? Jesus Christ. That makes the difference. That makes all the difference. See, when I come to the realization... We call that the age of accountability. When I come to the realization that God loved me so much that he sent Jesus, his only beloved son, down here to die for me because of my incurable sinful condition without him. See, I've got this problem that I can't solve, it's impossible to solve. The only solution is Jesus Christ, and so God loved me so much that he sent Jesus. And God knew that without Jesus, I would be hopelessly, thoroughly, absolutely, and tragically lost. He knew that. And also come the realization that my avenue to God is through Jesus Christ and his work on Calvary. Ephesians 2.12 describes this condition like this. He says at the, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenant of promise, having hope, a little bit of hope, no hope, and a little bit of God, without God in the world. That's me. That's you. What would it be like to stagger around through life in that condition? 
But I love verse 13 that follows verse 12. And it says, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were afar off, are made nigh by the blood of Christ. And so, I discover that all I am, all I hope to be, all my potential, all the blessings I could possibly be eligible for, stem back to Jesus Christ. It comes from God through Jesus Christ. And so, my entire Life today as a Christian, my entire eternal future hangs on Jesus Christ. My eternal destiny stands or falls on Jesus Christ. That is what makes all the difference. Jesus Christ makes a difference. And so, I can in faith reply, I do, when asked, do you believe in Jesus Christ as the only begotten Son of God, that He is the only Savior of mankind, that He died upon the cross and gave Himself a ransom for our sins, that through Him we may have eternal life? I can say, I do. What makes all the difference? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit draws me to God through Christ. Now we call the unpardonable sin the sin that rebukes the Holy Spirit and says, I want nothing of you. And the Holy Spirit withdraws himself from an individual and no longer inclines them toward God. If I understand the unpardonable sin, that avenue has been cut off. And by the way, if you've ever wondered whether you, if you ever wondered and were concerned whether you have committed the unpardonable sin, rest assured you had not, you would not, you have not, because you wouldn't be concerned. Some people struggle with that. Oh, I, I'm so afraid I created, I, I just committed the unpardonable sin. No, you have not. That is full evidence. You haven't. Because you're worried about it. You're concerned about it. Something's telling you. As long as something's telling you, the Holy Spirit's active. Not only is He drawing me to God, He is continually being poured out. Now, I didn't, really, I didn't realize this until so I taught the doctrine of the Trinity in Maranatha Bible School. I may have been exposed to this, but it didn't really come clear. But God always existed. Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. And so they're, they're 
kind of like there. All right, we have God, we have Jesus, God, we have Jesus. They're, they're entities right here. But the Holy Spirit is proceeding. God is continually creating the Holy Spirit. So it's not, not here today, but here tomorrow, because besides God's put to put it there, he is continually creating the Holy Spirit. He has not been created. He is being created. Jesus said in John 15, 26, But when the comforters come, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth. Notice that. Proceedeth from the Father, he shall testify of me. So it's not an it either. It's a he. The person of the Holy Spirit. So the person of the Holy Spirit has feelings. And you can wound the feelings of the Holy Spirit. The Nicene Creed says, I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Lord and giver of life, which proceedeth from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified. So the Holy Spirit is not just an entity in my life, not just a static possession, but is continually being poured out from the Father into my life experience. He is an unending source of direction, divine direction, unending source of sanctification, an unending source of inspiration in my walk with God. And he's the only one that has the capability of saying way down deep inside, Dennis, you need to get right with God. And I know it's not just somebody's opinion. I know it's God's opinion. So he has the capability of drawing me to God through Christ. And he's my access to God. What would it be like to be a Christian without the infilling of the Holy Spirit. I, I, I thought about that and I thought, you know what? Uh, Acts 17 probably would describe it about as well as anything. Turn to me, your Bible says Acts 17.22. This was the people on Mars Hill. Acts 17.22 Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens. The closest I think we could get would be like the men of Athens. Ye men of Athens. 
I perceive in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I pass by and behold your devotions, notice that. You got a religious connotation here. They were devotion. They weren't just uh, having a rap session here. And beheld your devotions. I found an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. Now they know God's there, but they don't know it. All right? Like they can't get a grip of who this God is. Whom therefore you ignorantly worship, him declare unto you. God that made the world. Notice this. Where he starts. The first advantage. The first difference. God that made the world. And all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hand as though he needed anything, seeing, giveth, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things, and hath made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bonds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he not be far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, of cert as certain also of our own poets have said, for ye are also his offspring. For as much then as ye are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that God has like unto gold or silver or stone graven by art and in man's device. And at times of this ignorance, God winked at, but now commandeth all, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, and in that he hath raised him from the dead. Notice God, Jesus Christ. I think the best we could do would be, be like the men of Athens. If we were so inclined, we could kind of feel and seek, but never know. So I am so grateful for the Holy Spirit that reveals God, inclines me to God, reveals God to me. It's the Holy Spirit that makes the difference. It makes all the difference. And I am so indebted to God who has, through his Holy Spirit, drawn me to himself that I can say I do when asked, do you believe in the Holy Ghost which proceedeth from the Father and the Son, that he is an abiding comforter, sanctifies the hearts of men, and guides them into all truth. Yes. All the difference. Number four, what makes all the difference? Leaving my sin. Someone has said, the difference between Christians and non-Christians is not that a non-Christian sins, whereas Christians don't. The difference is found in what side we take in the battle. Christians take 
God's side against sin. Whereas non-Christian takes sin's side against God. All the difference in the world. A Christian will sin, but turns to God again and his word and says, Help me fight my sin. Forgive me of my sin. A non-Christian, even if he recognizes his sin, effectively, effectively responds, I want my sins more than God. All the difference in the world. What I do with my sin. So when I become keenly aware that my sin will destroy me, and that the only possible way I can live with the man in the mirror and with God is to leave my sin, past tense, and stop my sinning, present tense. That's the only way. And I recognize the devil's my enemy. He's, and his kingdom, and the world are out to destroy me. We talk about agendas. Satan has an agenda. And it's clearly defined. They're out for my soul. They're, he's out for your soul this morning. That's what he's out for. Nothing less. And I understand clearly that my will is the pivotal point in this whole issue. What I will to do with my sin and my sinning is the pivotal issue. Will I allow God to give me his best or will I allow Satan to destroy me? My will. My will, your will, determines that. And it makes all the difference. And I recognize that not only do I have to deal with the devil and the Satan and the world and all out there, I've got a major problem in here. See, I've got my sinful desires that's born into me. That birthday present that you got when you were born. I got it. My own will and sinful inclinations. I need to on purpose reject them. For me to be eligible for God's best. I can't just row down, I mean, I can't just float down the river of life. It's not that easy. If I want God's best, I need to exercise my will how this is going to be done. 
So I humbly declare, publicly declare, I am sorry for my past sin. Sorry how I've lived. And I openly reject Satan and his plan to destroy my life. And with purpose and by the grace of God, I say, I am, when asked, are you truly sorry for your past sins? And are you willing to renounce Satan, the world, and all the works of darkness, and your own carnal and sinful desires? Number five, what makes all the difference? Submission and faithfulness. A.W. Tozer said, and I quote, Much of our difficulty as seeing Christians stems from our unwillingness to take God as he is and adjust our lives accordingly. We insist upon trying to modify him and to bring him nearer to our own image. The flesh whimpers against the rigor of God's inexorable sentence and begs like Agag for a little mercy, a little indulgence of its carnal ways. But it is no use. We can get right we can get a right start only by accepting God as he is and learning to love him for what he is. As soon as we know him better, we shall find it a source of unspeakable joy that God is just what he is. Some of the most rapturous moments we know will be those we spend in reverent admira admiration of the Godhead. In those holy moments, the very thought of changing him will be too painful to endure. So, let us begin with God. Back of all, above all, before all is God. First in sequential order, above in rank and station, exalted in dignity and honor. As the self-existent one, he gave many things, he gave being, pardon me, as the self-existent one, he gave being to all things, and all things exist out of him and for him. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. Every soul belongs to God and exists by his pleasure. Now get this. God being who and what he is, and we being who and what we are, the only thinkable relation between us is one of full lordship on his part and complete submission on ours. We owe him every honor that 
We owe him every honor that it is in our power to give him. Our everlasting grief lies in giving him anything less. Those are profound words. Submission. In reality, it is unthinkable for me not to want to submit to God. It doesn't even begin to make sense. Faithfulness. How can I expect to get to heaven if I abandon my Christian life halfway through? How can I get there? The answer is obvious. I won't get there. I have to be faithful. I must be faithful. The only option is being faithful. Quitting is not an option. Giving up is not an option. It's not even on the radar screen. I must see it through. And I remember that Jesus said, He that endureth to the end shall be saved. That's the words of our Lord. Submission and faithfulness. That is what makes all the difference. And so, realizing how weak I am, but knowing the grace of God and the power of Holy Spirit, I can confidently say, I do. When asked, do you promise by the grace of God and the aid of His Holy Spirit to submit yourself to Christ and His Word and faithfully abide in the same until death. All the difference in the world and all the difference in eternity.